And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to From the Rookery End, a podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This is our 12th season, our 12th season of sharing our lives as Watford fans. And we are here for our first pre-season podcast, but we're going to be here every single Monday for you during the season, where we're going to react to the games on the weekend. It could be a Friday, it could be a Saturday, it could be a Sunday, it could be a Monday, but we'll do that. But on a Thursday morning, we'll be ready for you guys to hear a little bit more about what's going on around Watford through the work of Adam Leventhal, the Watford correspondent at The Athletic. So we'll be with you in time for a Monday morning and your Thursday morning. But in this first pre-season podcast where we're going to discuss the squad and where it's at and where it's going and what might happen, what has happened and what might happen between now and the start of the season and the closing of the transfer window, I'm joined by Mike. Uh, good evening, John. Uh, and Adam Leventhal. Hello. Uh, and uh, we're here to, you know, it's, it's the first podcast of pre-season. We're not going to do too much running. We might get the balls out a bit later on for a kick around, but it, 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 <laughs> it, let's get back into what it is to do a podcast about what for football club. You're at a pre-season game, aren't you? Or well, not quite pre-season, under, under 23's game. Is that right, Adam? Yeah, I'm at um, Chesham United. At the moment, I thought I'd come down just to see how things are going, you know, in this sort of new era for the academy under, you know, Richard Johnson and Jimmy Gilligan. So let's get down to it. Let's see where we're at at the moment with this Watford squad that's going to take us into the Premier League in the 2021-2022 season. It seems weirdly... Not, I'm not going to use the word settled, but it's 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 forming much quicker than, than I'm used to. Mike, we you know we finished this season, last, we finished last season with a, a bunch of players who who we were happy with. You know, they they were unified, they were defensively strong, uh, and they they got promotion to the Premier League, which was which was our ultimate goal. How far now? You look, you know, you got a, a while and a di- of distance in there. When you look back at that squad, how far away do you think they were from being? deemed to be a success in the Premier League, to, to, to be able to stay up? How far away were they for you? Very difficult to say because I think what the, the one thing that you get when you get promoted is big smiles, which is obviously a big thing. You want to see your footballers enjoying themselves, but also you get momentum, which I think is an unquantifiable part of of professional sport, of, of football club. I think they got used to the used to winning and that's very difficult to come by. You can't you can't really legislate for it. You can't buy it. You can't um, just create a, a side that's used to winning. So I think that that bodes very well. And I think if we can if we can keep that lightning in the bottle that 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 um, Cisco was able to to sort of engender that just that happiness and that uh, that confidence, then I think that will stand a lot of those guys in in good stead. 
we have to be honest with ourselves and 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 we know that for lot long parts of the season we weren't amazing let's put it that way and that the the challenges we're going to face in the in the premier league are in some cases it absolutely pulls apart from from the challenges we faced last year so plenty going for for that squad i think plenty going for those for those players and you know i always like to think that if you got promoted you earn at least a shot in the top flight but i do think you know if we're being really really frank it's 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 a squad that needs uh needed and still needs supplementing doesn't it with some extra extra quality yeah I like, I like that supplementing not not completely ripping it up and, and starting again and we have seen plenty plenty of action uh, and plenty of movement um we you know we interviewed scott duxby at the end of the season and we from that interview you know we are and were expecting to see changes uh, and to anyone who's going to be coming in to be determined uh, and, and to want to play for Watford they want them to be young players who are ready to be doer-uppers and to, to, to be able to, to send them on their way in their career after being successful with Watford bringing in some senior players but not to the detriment of these young players that's what Scott says to me now Adam we've seen a lot of transfers so far nine I make it but for you, Adam, is, is that is that that strategy? What Scott said in that interview is that what you've seen so far? Yeah, and I think just just going back to what Mike was saying there about you know whether that team was good enough to stay up in the first place. I think um, twenty nineteen twenty. If you go back to that summer, what they didn't do was freshen up the team. You had Danny Welbeck, Ishmael Assar, and Craig Dawson came in, but aside from that it wasn't really freshened up and, and players that were sort of static in the team weren't challenged. And I think what's good about this pre-season already and early on in the, in the transfer window, players have, have been brought in to get the existing player looking over their shoulders. And I think that that's, you know, I think that's a really positive thing. Obviously, you know, if you, if you look at it overall and we can dig into the, you know, the precise details of who, who's come in and, and the various different departments, um, but overall, the, the majority of the work has been done. We've got the players in, and now it's a matter of streamlining the squad, and they've got plenty of players that they need to to move on. But it's easier to do that when those players realise that they're genuinely not going to have much football to play. I think it's been quite a savvy window so far for Watford, and there's obviously still maybe one or two uh, players t- to be brought in but I don't think there's going to be too much more work done and I think you know fair play you know seeing the videos uh, there was one video that I really liked where they all had those bozu balls um, I think they're called you know upturned and that you know the, the rubbery bit is at the top and they all went down the line doing like little tip- tippy tappy toes and then going on to the next one and there was just a real energy to the whole thing and, and, I, and I quite like that and th- there seems to be you know some there's, there's something at stake for a lot of those players in there the feeling I'm getting, you know, very far removed. I've not been to training ground because of, of COVID and things like that. But from what I'm seeing, yes, there's going to be issues and there's going to be a few players that have had their noses put out of joint and we'll, we'll probably go on to, you know, contract issues and things like that. But but on the whole, bring in new players, get people sort of on their toes. I think that's I think it's been a, a good approach so far. Let's go through through that squad. Attacking-wise, that felt for me the most important area we needed to do something about. We got through it, but we didn't have a dominant strike force I don't think that we could really hang our hats on especially in the Premier League it was gutsy 
It was Ishmael Assar. It was Pedro. And we've done some decent business, I think, so far. Um, savvy business, which I think was a phrase Adam used. I like it. Savvy. Uh, Ashley Fletcher, a free from Middlesbrough. Joshua King. And I'm sticking with that, lads. I'm sticking with Joshua because I don't think Joshua could play for Bournemouth. He can play for Watford. Uh, so Joshua King, uh, who was bought in on a free. And also Cucho Hernandez, who's finally signed up and turned up for Watford training. Three players to come in to strengthen our team in three very different ways. Mike, it, it seems to be classic potzos of, of getting in quality players who are ready to do something for very little amount of money. And as, uh, as Emmanuel Dennis of, as, as well, of course, who's come in with, uh, with a bit of pedigree. And yeah, I mean, fascinating signings, really. Um, each... Each different, but each the same in some ways, in as much as they've got something to to prove. You know, Ashley Fletcher's career stalled to a degree, didn't it? I don't think it went on the on the trajectory that, that he would necessarily have hoped. Joshua King's obviously had a bit of a nightmare at, at Everton for, for whatever reason. Um, Emmanuel Dennis says, you know, he's played Champions League football and he's, he's, he's had some eye-catching headlines one way or the other. Um, but he's one who's who's got to get his career back on track to a degree. And then, of course, Cucho Hernandez, someone that we've heard a lot about as as, as Watford fans without seeing him anywhere near um, a Watford shirt. So a real fascinating sort of quartet of, of striking options that have been added. But you'd like to think that between them, and going back to what I said about how um, that Watford have momentum, they have that winning habit at the moment, and what Adam said... Um, about there being healthy competition for places, you'd like to think that those guys have all come into the first team setup with their eyes wide open, knowing that it's going to be potentially a difficult season for for the Hornets in terms of of staying up. It is going to be a challenge, so they'll know what they've signed up for. Um, but they've also know that they've signed up for a squad high on confidence and 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 a club that that if if they if they if they hit the ground running if they do what they've been brought in to do there's a real chance of of them staying up and scoring some real goals and and, and catching the eye so i think there's there's going to be have to be they're going to have to put the work in they're going to have to recognize that the rewards and the benefits will only come if they're if they're committed fully committed to Watford and fully committed to what we have to go in with our eyes open is there going to be a a battle to stay in the in the division then you know I think you're right, John. I think that you were used the word savvy or or canny. I think they at this stage the three that have come externally uh, with something to prove could be decent. And then you know Hernandez, you'd have thought he's been sort of bobbing around a little bit. <clears throat> yes, he's been playing top flight football, but I think it's it's fair to say that the Premier League is where players want to be. So he'll be, you'd hope, chomping at the bit, uh, f- ready to make his um his what get his Watford career up and running on the on the biggest stage of all. As you look at that, the, the, you know, across the board there, Adam, of all those strikers that we have as, uh, to, to pull from, uh, do you think we've got the, uh, the options that we need? Yeah, I mean, we've, we've got far more options now. It's, it's worth mentioning the guys that are now becoming peripheral figures. Stipe Paritza, who I saw play uh, for Chesham against um, Watford under 23, not for Chesham, he hasn't moved on already, for Watford <laughs> under 23s uh, against Chesham. You know, Isaac Success and, and Andre Gray, they, they are sort of now peripheral figures and, and are on their way out. And the players that have been brought in, it just freshens the whole thing up. Um, I think on the point, you know, Mike obviously added there Emmanuel Dennis. I think f- from my understanding, his, his 
the way that they view him is is more towards competition on the left hand side. So you've got two options, um, maybe him and him him and Ken Semmer for that position. But then you've also got Joao Pedro who can maybe play on the flank if he's not getting time in the middle. And then you do have a variety of options now with Joshua King, Troy Deeney, Ashley Fletcher, Cucho Hernandez. I mean, you've got four players there for one potentially central striker position. And I'm not sure how sustainable it is that there would be four for just one place. So, you know, it might well be that they try and develop some sort of partnership over over pre-season to see if there's some sort of partnership that can that can work in the Premier League. I know that's going to be difficult and you want to play to your strengths. You want to have, you know, two fizzing wingers, you know, maybe Emmanuel Dennis on, on the left and obviously Ishmael Assar on the right and then a and then a striker that's going to be popping up in the middle. Um, but you know, you've got you're going through it and there are so many different options. You look at Ashley Fletcher, yes he's got the height, but he's also a decent footballer. He hasn't scored a lot of goals. Um, but neither is Troy Deeney, you know, of late. Joshua King will think, well, I can do what I did in the season that he was playing as a number nine when, when Callum Wilson was in and out of the side uh, with injuries at Bournemouth. I think he scored 16 Premier League goals. So he will be hoping to do it. So you've, you've got genuine competition. And then Cucho Hernandez comes in as a little bit of, a, a little bit of an unknown. Um, you know, he can, he can turn in tight spaces and he's, he's sort of nippy and of that sort of Obviously, that Aguero build, we're not expecting him to score as many goals in the Premier League as Sergio Aguero. Oh, but fingers crossed. It's, sort of, it's reminiscent of, of, of that sort of player. So, that, you know, there's lots of options. And I think now, when you get all those players in early and you then have the whole pre-season to really have a look at, uh, look at those players, you can then go, you know what, by the end of the, by the, end of, um, the transfer window, OK, maybe it's not time for, for Cucho Hernandez or, or actually maybe... Ashley Fletcher, actually, maybe he can go out on, on loan for, for six months or whatever it is. But you've got that choice. It's not like you're trying to scrabble around. And then, you know, right at the end of that previous window, 1920, Saar arrived on deadline day, I think it was, and Danny Welbeck, both, both the same. You'd, you'd had all that preparation and then you're bringing in those two players. So it, whatever happens, they're able to take a, a genuine view with, with authority and make make choices and they've got they've got plenty of players to choose from especially in the attacking area and that was the area as you pointed out John that work needed to be done we needed to be a more potent threat across that front three or as you know a partnership and we can do that if we need to it can't just be dependent on on Ishmael Assan it can't just be dependent on on Troy Deeney you know scoring penalties but I'd, I'd say you know going back to that video that we saw I mentioned about them bouncing around and stuff Troy seems to be pretty pretty lean at the moment and uh, you know look looks pretty sort of lively so I'm really looking forward to to seeing what happens because there's a lot of players as you mentioned that have a point to prove and that's that's a recipe that's a recipe for 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 potential at the very least I think perhaps we we might have been a little bit spoiled this this summer because you're thinking about just talking about it now you know we've all been preoccupied by 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 the Euros or at least a lot of us and this is probably you know, we've just mind starting to to talk, think about Watford 
potentially for the first time this this summer in any meaningful sense and we've done they've done the business quite astutely in terms of you know Ashley Fletcher came in in very very early didn't he then there was Dennis and then and then Joshua King's come in and it's sort of been quite um steady haven't they the incomings and then we've been made aware that that Hernandez is 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 viewed as part of the of the setup and now now we've had a chance to sort of really think about it and talk about it and vocalize it, it like you say Adam it is there is a there is a, a quite a lot to go at, and you know we mentioned mentioned Troy, and as you know, seen on 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 Twitter in particular, people say, "Well, we're used to seeing Troy come come back and looking the best he's ever looked." For example, in in pre in preseason, but he does, doesn't he? And we know what he can offer, and a fit and firing Troy is is a, is a is a real threat. I think it's really important for us to sort of talk about Troy quickly. You know, for me, we saw last year a Watford surviving without him for the first time in a decade, but we all know what he can offer. And we all know that a determined Troy Deeney is amazing. He's the player that every every journalist who doesn't you know do a deep dive into what is Watford and who's signed or whatever will just always mention Troy Deeney first. But I think it, it, it's fantastic that we are we are talking about him as as part of a lineup, Mike, not just mm. talking about him and who's coming in. I think with Adam, I think Mike, you've said it year before. You know, there was the number of wannabes that have come in over the years that we thought they're going to be the next thing. They're going to be the the next Watford striker. And and within a few months, Troy's back, and he he's still number one. You know that that's it. I sort of like you know he's got a year left in his contract, Mike. He is he is Mister Watford. He ha- we know what he can offer, but it, it doesn't feel anywhere near like we're going to be dependent on him. No, but what I do think is that we might be actually be getting the best out of him as a result of that. Uh, and I think the, the the signings mean that the that attacking section that attacking unit is such that we could perhaps you know Troy will will want to be number nine he will want to be the number one number nine if, if, if that makes sense he That's will terrible maths Michael <laughs> <laughs> he will be very very much be of the belief that he can still score 15 goals in a Premier League season for Watford and I think a, a, a Troy a motivated Troy Deeney like that is, is going to be a huge benefit to Watford I think he's also realistic to to understand that there that there are other options there now but you'd like to think that you know a he would um in his captain's role look to bring those the, the, those guys in and and sort of uh, bring them into the the Watford fold and help them help them settle um and B, you know, just just to impart a bit of wisdom, what it's like at the club, what it's like to play in the Premier League, some of the lessons we, he learned from from the relegation season. It almost feels like the the best possible way to still have Troy with us is having other options available, having but having him fit, motivated, and looking to to end his Watford career, which you assume, you know, you mentioned there's there's a year on the on the on the on the on the contract, you would assume the end is in sight, really, for for Troy Deeney and, and Watford Football Club. But what I would like nothing more, and I, I'm sure most people would be the same, for him to go out with a with an absolutely enormous bang, and you know, 10, 15 Premier League goals under his under his belt. You know how feasible that is, I don't know, but my gut feeling is that we're in a situation whereby we can potentially get the best out of him um, in a whole host of different ways. So I think it's good that we're not looking at him as hanging our hat on him, but it's just good. I just feel like we, he could be the, he could be a good fit this season. It could be the, the circumstances have um, we've, we've worked to make sure that the circumstances are best for, for him and his fellow strikers. From the rookery end, a podcast about life following Watford FC. 
Now, out of all the positions, we, we talked about how much needed to be done in the attack. The one area of this club where I felt everything's fine, everything's competitive, there's a lot of experience, there's a lot of driven players, was the midfield, Adam. This doesn't seem to be the settled area at this point. You wrote a piece this week, uh, particularly highlighting Mr. Will Hughes. Many people are picking apart every single video the club put out and saying, where is Will? Where is Will? We can't see Will. It is a thing for some. Do you feel it's a big thing for Watford from your point of view that if if he ends up going, we're, we're going to be you know, taking a step backwards? It's a difficult one to pull apart this because I, I think everyone will agree that Will Hughes is a, is a good egg and you, you would want him in your dressing room. If you had the option of, of uh, not having him and having him, you would, you would always choose to, to have him, especially due to the performances that he delivered towards the end of, of last season. And also the character that he has been ever since he, he joined the club. He's not someone to throw his toys out of the pram even when he was on the sort of the the periphery under Shisko to start off with and he was being played at you know at back and in goal and everyone was going just put him in the middle please you know he, he just sort of got on with it waited for his chance and, and finally that the, the penny dropped but this is a situation that is it's obviously very common in football if you come to the last year of your your contract you start to look for other options and the club also will go well if you are going to leave, we want to realise some profit from the situation. Right at the beginning of the transfer window, there was always going to be the, the situation of, of extending his contract. And we know that he's had a, a five-year contract offered to him. At this point, as we are recording, that deal isn't to his and his representatives' precise liking at the moment. But the, the discussions are ongoing and there is the potential for a resolution and for him to extend. But at the same time, Watford can't wait and hang around, so they've had to cover the bases by bringing in other players, which don't necessarily move them automatically above Will Hughes. But if you're not committing and they're training and our views are start starting to sort of move towards, right, well, who is going to play in the midfield? If Peter uh, Atebo, who's, who's come in from, from Stoke on loan with an option, um, you know, Imran Loser has come in right at the beginning of, of, the, uh, of the transfer window uh, from Nantes, you've already got two players in there that the hierarchy will be thinking, well, they're probably going to be our starters. So then you've got one other person in a midfield three if you're going to play 4-3-3. That could be Tom Cleverley. It could be Will Hughes. It could be Nathaniel Shalabar. But if Will Hughes and Nathaniel Shalabar aren't necessarily going to be at the football club, then you've got Tom Cleverley, or you've got Domingos Kina, or you've got Tom Deli Bashiru, or you've got Dan Gosling. So it's a very, very interesting dynamic. And I think that when you've seen your football club, and I'm sort of talking about Will Hughes here, the club that you're at, doing their business early, getting things sorted, and you're sort of being undecided, you're playing a little bit of a dangerous game. These things can take time. And I think, you know, it, you know, we're not right up against the, the end of the transfer window yet. We've still got some time. But I think you, you should sort of make your mind up a little bit. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it could, there could be a case here of, of the timing, meaning that neither party is necessarily at fault. Because I think what we need yeah. to remember is, the, is what's happened over the, the past 18 months. And, you know, the finances have been well documented and the issues that Watford faced 
with relegation and COVID, you know, that, that double whammy. And we spoke to Scott and I think that was very high on their awareness as you'd as you'd hope that and, and they would they're very keen to make sure that the to, to, to future proof any future budgets. And as such, they you know, they've been very clear that they've had to be pretty strict on on wages and new contracts and they weren't going to get themselves into a situation whereby players you know are able to dictate huge uh, well increases or or big salaries because they they have to guard against it and it feels yeah. to me perhaps that unfortunately you know will hughes feels like he is one of the more painful lessons or more painful side effects if you like of of what's gone before because you know he's probably you know if he's looking for a new contract he's looking for more money one would assume especially having been promoted and especially as viewed as one of Watford's better players and you know let's face it popular players which which stands him in good stead you would have thought in terms of his contract negotiations but the bottom line is that he is probably asking for more money and is probably entitled to do so you know that none of us can look each other in the eye and say that we wouldn't be asking for more money having 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 been promoted so he's probably you know in the right in that regard and then Watford are also in in a facing a situation where they've come up with a financial regime if you like a financial plan whereby they know what they're able to offer players and they cannot and will not deviate from it yeah because they're in like if they do there's a domino effect isn't there if 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 player A gets it player B wants it when their contracts up in 6 months or a year and and so on and so forth and all before you know it you know you're in a situation again you know if if Watford do get relegated or if something else happens whereby um the TV money that is expected doesn't come any sort of financial issue that comes through they've been so they've been burned haven't they effectively not just Watford everyone has and they need to cut their cloth accordingly and this to me feels like the first time where we're we're having to 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 to, to experience the actual pain of it really that that's my take no I, I think you're absolutely right it's almost like he's in the wrong place at the wrong time because yeah, everyone yeah. would 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 say course make him the, not the offer that he wants precisely but go a little bit further because this is will hughes and he deserves it and and i think everyone would 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 say that the interesting thing is you know obviously he said i'll leave it to my agent and the club to, to sort this out so there is that little bit of separation that you know you sort of leave it to to people who are you know, have their own interests at, at, at heart as well. And when you've got a year left on your contract, it may well be more in the interest of, of the agent to, to maybe sort of take it to the end of the contract and then you can, you know, move wherever you want to from January effectively because then you can talk to other clubs and, you know, there are bonuses to doing it that way. But the interesting thing is that, yes, you might only be offered X at Watford, but elsewhere, and I've spoken to so many agents, you know, over the last sort of 12, 18 months and, you know, a lot of them are saying that the bubble has sort of—it's not—it's not fully burst, but it is sort of on the on the verge of bursting. And yeah, because other clubs are going to be like Watford, aren't they? Exactly. Other clubs, exactly. other clubs, whether you're Premier League and you you've had the the issues with with the TV money or whatever, or whether you're League Two, um, and you know it, it, you don't need to be a brain surgeon to work out the the financial issues that they've faced. You know, this is throughout football, isn't it? It's not just. Just Watford and, and owners worth their salt will be cutting their cloth accordingly, and that probably means for the first time leaving some spare. I'd imagine because of just how 
frightening, I assume, the the um, the situation will have been. So it, it, it's bound to be, isn't it? Like you say, that it's less the bubble bursting and more um, there just being lots of perhaps smaller bubbles knocking around, perhaps. I'm not sure. Sh- I'm not sure exactly how this one is going to pan out, but I think the 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 main thing really for for Watford, if we you know we're looking in depth at, at the squad, is that they have still strengthened in the yeah, midfield area, absolutely. with the expectation that one Will Hughes or Nathaniel Shalabar will leave, and they still want to bring in one more midfielder as well. I think they've still got it in their minds that you know when you lose Abdullah Dekore and you lose Etienne Kapu. Um, you know how good they were in the Premier League for a, an extended period of time. That you you need to try and get that sort of stability in the middle because you know that over the course of the season, the majority of the time, yes, you need to score goals. We all know that, but you need a well worked engine room. And I think that they th- still think maybe we didn't quite have enough quality the year we went down. Um, because the dynamic wasn't quite right, the motivation wasn't quite right. And then having taken Capu and Decore out of it, last season managed to sort of get our way through it, but we need to upgrade for, for the midfield and um, for, the, for the Premier League. And, and that's what they've done so far, and they still want to do more. So all in all, look, I think you know, a good way to end this, this sort of discussion on Will Hughes is I'm not saying that he was saying this about Will Hughes at all, but when Scott Duxbury was was talking about don't fall in love with any players, hmm. you have yes. to just sort of move on. Look, yeah. if if you don't want to, if you don't want to be here, and you know, and that's not necessarily Will himself. It might just be a combination of advice and all that sort of stuff. And he's entitled to do it. This isn't like yeah. he's being a, a mercenary. It, this is just football. Don't fall in love with the player. Give them on. Take the money and buy someone else. It's simple. It might hurt a little bit and, and the PR might not be great, but but just, you know, crack on with it. I think it's a really timely opportunity to remind ourselves of that statement because it's easy once, you know, the blood's pumping again, talking about Watford and it's easy to get excited and easy thinking about, oh, if he could stay, if he could stay, or if we could just get him in and yada, 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 what we might be able to do. And the reality is that the landscape definitely has changed. And the reality is that things are going to have to be done differently. And the reality is that things aren't, we're not going to have everything go our own way. Some players we want to keep will leave and, and some that we want to leave will might stay. And as, as supporters, I think we need to remind ourselves that man, you know, managing a football club at this time or over the last period it is, has been very, very difficult and will continue to be so. And it's not the same as it once was. And as a result of that, there might be a little bit of pain when you take the, the sticking plaster off and, and it's, it might be a bit uncomfortable from time to time. But I think that's right. As, a, as fans, I think it's, it's more important now more than ever to be behind the club and to support what the club is trying to trying to achieve in the long term and the short to medium term, but always to take a step back and realise that things could have been very, very different were it not for us getting promoted again or were there different custodians in charge of the club at the time where they got, got relegated or, or different people in charge um, when, when COVID hit. As we approach the the new season, I think reminding ourselves that do not fall in love with the player necessarily and don't take it personally and don't take it as an indication that the wheels are completely coming off because one of the the better players or players that the fans like more than others perhaps might leave. It doesn't have to be a bad thing. 
it doesn't have to be a huge negative. And I think as, as supporters, I think this season, perhaps more than ever, when it's going to be more difficult on the, on the pitch, we need to sort of remind ourselves that, come on, sometimes we're just going to need to, to suck it up. The, the, the footballing landscape's changed. The division has changed for Watford. And as such, it's, um, it's just different. And we, we need to be patient and perhaps a bit more understanding of, of, of the realities that are out there. We're the Orns, you're the Orns. Come on, you Orns! On the uh, defensive side, the, the guys who are trying their hardest to not let any goals in, um, goalkeeper-wise, Adam, we've seen no no change really at all. Looks like Daddy Bartman will be the, the starter after successful uh, spells in, in the Euros for Austria. Uh, we'll also have, of course, Ben Foster, who's in his final year of his, his season. But, of course, the club... So re-signed Rob Elliott for for another season to be third choice. And of course, Pontus Dahlberg is hanging around the training ground at the moment, trying his best as well. It, it, is that going to settle down? Is it just Pontus just going to have another year out on loan? I think so. That That's what it looks like at, at the moment. The only thing that I could see that would, would change that, and, and, I don't, and I have no information to suggest that this is going to happen, but just imagine a big club who can offer a two-year deal to Ben Foster to be a third choice, and he's happy to do that for sake of argument, then maybe they, they, would, they would do that. But it, I, I don't think that that would, I don't think that that would happen. Um, and, and maybe the more likely thing to happen is for you know, a genuine offer to come in for Pontus Dahlberg, and they go, okay, well, let's, let's realise some, some money on him. But the, and we've, we've spoken about this before, the most likely thing is that he goes out on loan and then when Ben Foster comes to the end of his contract next season, then Dahlberg, hopefully after another season of impressing, because by all accounts he's a very good goalkeeper, um, he will then come into the mix in the Premier League, fingers crossed. So we just have to see on that. I, I don't think that it's, it's, a, it's an area that there's anything to really worry about and I think that it will be interesting to see how Daniel Backman hopefully starts as number one, how he gets on. He's got an experienced number two in, in Ben Foster, an experienced number three in Rob Elliott. So I think they're sort of they're well covered in that department. In terms of the back four, back three, whatever again you know, that that turns into, uh, we seem to have of strengthened uh, particularly on on the left uh, with Danny Rose, Mike, uh, but also Matty Pollock. Now you can tell he's a young man because he's a Matty. Uh, I'm not quite sure what age he will turn into Matthew um, or even just Matt. Uh, but he, he's Matty from Grimsby uh, and he seems, a, you know, I saw his uh, interview with, uh, with Ben Foster uh, on Ben's YouTube channel and he seems, you know, uh, a, a pleasant fella who's, who's eager and raring to go. He, he's not going to start the first game of the season, it feels like to me at least. But it, it's interesting having him as a young player around um, and from what Adam wrote in his piece, it seems to me he's going to be sticking around um, and maybe just be that sort of appearances uh, if needed, uh, uh, particularly appearances in, in the cup. But Danny Rose is, the, is that sort of player that goes against a little bit Mike, what we, we heard from, from Scott in terms of not buying experienced players to hold back young players. But actually, Danny's coming in to be a true competition for Messina. He comes in with a lot of experience and he really feels like, the, in some ways, the wisest of choices that they've made so far, this, this transfer window. Yeah, I mean, just I did want to mention Matty Pollock briefly and it'll be interesting to see how he is managed and what his trajectory is like at Watford because... Um, someone else who uh, can play defence for midfield as well, but Ben Wilmot obviously came in and yeah. and caught the eye for a, for a few, and a lot of people perhaps had had high hopes for him, but he's he's departed for Stoke, 
Um, I think it was pretty clear that that Shishko didn't didn't fancy him, did he? Because he didn't really get a look in. But just interesting to see how you know another another youngster with you know highly highly rated, albeit from the from the from the lower leagues. It'd just be interesting to to keep a watching brief on on how he's he's managed and whether we can sort of forge a pathway for these. Uh, for these youngsters that that do come in, and whether that that pathway means loan, or whether that pathway means being um, a cup player or a or a squad player, very you know the the, the Scots have gone on record before as saying how difficult it is to forge a sort of obvious path for for untried and tested youngsters because you know when do you when do you in effect risk them talked already about how difficult the Premier League season is going to be. We've seen the fixture list. There are there aren't many um, free passes, are there? So really interesting to see how how he um, how he develops. The same goes to a degree for Quadro Bar, who's who's coming obviously at the other end of the pitch, but a youngster with lots of high hopes. Um, you know, really, really some proper buzz about him. So it'd be interesting to see how they do manage these these youngsters that have have come in. Adam, we paid two hundred seventy. Thousand was it for for Matty Pollock? Do you think that's viewed? I mean, what do we what do we get in the end for uh, Wilmot? In the end, it was it was a deal worth just over three million. Because that's good business. If if we just even, you know, it, it doesn't feel like the right thing to do, does it, Mike? Where you sort of say, hey, let's bring someone in for that amount of money, give him some sort of exposure, send Drew Daisy on loan, send him to Swansea on loan, have a season in the Championship, Watford. That's a, that's a, a very very good return that we got from him. And in, in a business way, two hundred and seventy thousand for a, a promising young player doesn't seem at all risky. It's not. It's it's absolutely not a financial risk. But what what I don't want to see necessarily is is youngsters with promise coming in wherever they play on the on the pitch, and then for whatever reason, the majority of them not making it. I think that's that just feels a little bit disappointing to me in terms of a as a as a supporter and b in terms of I guess the whole recruitment process. You know, we've seen. With England in the Euros, how a lot of youngsters have have burst onto the scene and well, burst onto the scene, but you know that that old adage that if you're old enough, you're good enough, hasn't necessarily rang true at Watford, has it? Or it doesn't seem to have felt felt to have felt to have run true. Um, you know, Penyaranda has disappeared off on, on loan again. Now you could argue that he's you know his difficulties around work permits and and so on and so forth. But I, there's just a little nagging doubt at the back of my mind about how Watford make the most of these really young recruits and yeah whilst you know Ben Wilmot if we realise three million quid um, for someone that cost us nowhere near that um, obviously an impressive chap and you know you, you went out on Udinese no fuss and Swansea he played well yada 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 so you could say we we developed him and, and moved him on for profit and that's a, a success but what we'd really like is for these youngsters coming in you know um, Pollock coming in at at 19, for example, in in a couple of years, he's he's taken to the field in the first team for the for Watford in the Premier League. So it's it's just about how we make that happen um, and whether it can happen. I, I don't really see why not. I know it's difficult and complicated for a whole host of reasons, but yeah, just really fascinated to see how the sort of new era, if you like, Watford manage these manage these youngsters. But um, someone who'll need less managing you'd have thought is 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 Danny Rose because he's he's been there and done it um, and like unlike the strikers we mentioned he's also got got something to to prove a little bit older than 
than the other guys that have come in. What is he, 31? But that's no age to hang up your boots of your own volition, is it? He he will very much believe that he has a part to play in a Premier League football club. I think there was a, a huge outpouring of of positive vibes from Tottenham fans who were very, very quick to point out how important he they felt he was to the to the squad and not just the match day squad, but also his work with with youngsters. And I think he was quite well known for for turning up at other uh, for, uh, younger teams training sessions and 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 providing support in that uh, in that way. We've seen that Maurizio Pochettino obviously thought very highly of him and indeed came to the Watford training ground to see him recently. Um, you know, some clear concerns in as much as that his career hasn't continued in the way he'd have wanted wanted it to. Well, the last time been... I saw him was on that Spurs documentary and he did come across as a very moody, non-helpful person. But I, you can probably understand where he was at at Spurs uh, at that time. Um, yeah, I, but I he, think he, he's he, suffered yeah, mentally, hasn't he? I think yeah. that's, been, that's been quite quite clear. And I think Watford's the, the job of Watford and the team there, the various teams, you know, responsible for... Uh, for players conditioning and welfare it is a mental thing as well it's keeping them um, you know making sure that they are mentally healthy as well as physically um, fit and that is that is a job that that will be done but that the fact of the matter is that there is obvious talent there there is a huge amount of experience there there's lots of evidence for him being a good egg parachuting him into a side which is high on confidence and um, knows very you know has a clear job of work to do a very, very clearly defined objective this season. You'd hope that, you know, he could he could buy into that. And like Adam said at the at the top of the, the pod, it's about making sure that when players are training, they know there is someone else that can do their job if they're not if they're not performing or not committing or or, or are struggling for whatever reason. So again, it just feels like a very, very canny Signing is one that almost happened the the year before last, didn't it? It, it, it didn't for whatever reason. Um, and you just hope um, that he's able to to pull all his attributes together at the right time uh, and kickstart his career, which will be beneficial to him. Um, and of course, beneficial to Watford Football Club and, and, and us as supporters. So feel sensible to me and, and, and I'm looking forward to it. You know, it, it, he's one I'm really rooting for, actually. I like seeing players... Get back in the saddle, get back on the horse, and 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 being able to kickstart their their careers after a after a rocky patch. And yeah, I wish him nothing but well. And then, and I'm sure that um, I, I'm not alone in that. Adam, you, you mentioned maybe another midfielder coming in. It, it feels like we've got quite a bunch there. And as you said, we we we're, we're going to sort of whittle a few out um, rather than bring a lot more in. Is that the way you're sort of looking the the next month or so of this transfer window panning out? Yeah, I think that that's the that's the priority now just sort of um, streamlining things and and you know cutting the squad's cloth accordingly um but also i think it's an opportunity having everyone together at the moment i think that it, it almost reminds me a little bit of when the Pozzo era started and you know Gianfranco Zola had to sort of hire extra pitches so he could house all the players that he was uh, he was being sort of dealt with um he was being dealt at the moment is a very heavy squad and Yes, there's work to be done, but it's also an opportunity for those players. You know, we haven't even mentioned, you know, Philip Zinkernagel, who's been linked with potentially moving moving to the championship, maybe. And others, you know, Domingos Kina and Tom Bashiru, who was actually really impressive at the beginning of last season and, and got that cruciate um, injury. So there's players that will come back. 
Cisco to show, you know, Cristiano Giretta, the, the sporting director, what they can do on the on the training pitch to make sure that they're in that 25-man squad at, at the end of this. So, um, yeah, main priority now is is probably one more one more midfielder. And I, just a word on the defence very quickly. You know, a lot of people in response to that article that I put out did were saying, you know, oh, I'm worried about the defence or, you know, it's Cabasele, Cathcart, uh, Trustecong and, and Sierra Alta. I'm not, not quite sure. I'm surprised that they haven't brought in a, you know, an experienced new centre-back. I think my gut feeling is that they're going to just sort of see see how it goes for a bit. You know, because we don't know how Sierra will do in the in the in the Premier League, um, and we don't know how Trista Kong will get on in the Premier League. But they did do pretty well in the Championship, and they were sort of part of a pretty impregnable back four. Like Mike mentioned, you have to sort of give them an opportunity to prove that they can make that step up, um, and then you do have two other defenders in there that will really think that they can they can do it because they have done it in the past in Cabasella and, and Cathcart. I understand the thinking why why wouldn't you bring in a, another experienced centre back? It might be something that they do do. So you've got three games in the Premier League against Aston Villa against um, Brighton and Tottenham and then you've got a three-day gap um, before the transfer window closes and you've got that international break which comes after those three games. So there is an opportunity if they go, yeah, always oh, had a, he's had an absolute shocker there, and his and his confidence is going to be affected for the rest of the season, or whatever it is, or they don't quite, they're not quite happy. There is still time if they want to do something. So you know that that might be something that they they think about, or you know, an opportunity crops up. You know, there are plenty of free agents at the moment that will be looking for clubs later on in the window, and they might go, you know, what let's let's bring in, I don't know. I'm just thinking off the top of my head, Gary Cahill, for example, let's bring him in for a season just to sort of add a bit of experience or whatever it is. I think at the moment they're, they're right to sort of progress in the way that they are, but there are opportunities if they want to tinker a little bit later on in the, in the transfer window. Part of the Athletic Podcast Network. This is from the Rookery End. If you are a subscriber to The Athletic, you can keep up to date with all the, the toing, the throwings, the, the movings, the rumours uh, that is going on at Watford, at least all the decent ones, uh, by subscribing uh, and, and reading all Adam's pieces he does as the Watford correspondent, uh, as well as sort of seeing all the other great things that The Athletic writers do uh, with their deep dives uh, into the world of sport, both in America and over here in the UK. You can do that by going to theathletic.com forward slash end and subscribing for £3.49 a month. That is a 30% discount. Get it now, ready for the new season by going to theathletic.com forward slash rookery end. One of the articles that Adam wrote alongside Matt Slater, Matt is the big business and finance writer for The Athletic, was an explanation piece about exactly what went down in Watford's recent financial report that came out on the 1st of July. I caught up with Matt, uh, who's the co-host also of the Business of Sport podcast, which you can get via The Athletic. Be back for a new series uh, when the new season kicks off in mid-August. And I want to find out about how Watford's finances looked from outside the Watford bubble. Matt, when you see £35.6 million pound loss uh, compared to almost £10 million profit, as a football fan of my club, you go, oh, that's, that's not very good. F- from the outside, is, is that a terrible thing, uh, particularly in, the, in this last year? It is bad, and there's no point pretending otherwise. You know, losing money is not a great idea. Not certainly not in the long term, but that number's not that dreadful, and it's certainly not atypical for a few reasons. I mean, you know, one, 
football just generally isn't very profitable. <laughs> you know, so sort of kudos to Watford for for being so. You know, not every year, but but they they have managed to make money uh, some seasons, and they do it. You know, with a pretty successful player trading model and keeping a real lid on costs. Those are, I think, the the sort of two things that jump out about Watford's business model. But look, last season, season 2019-20 and the season that's just finished are shockers for everybody. That shouldn't come as a surprise. They had to play the last basically quarter, I guess, of 2019-20 behind closed doors. The season was paused and then restarted, which triggered broadcast rebates. The other thing to say about 1920, which actually makes comparisons which is which is kind of what people like me do we're always looking for trends and year on year and direction of travel and what have you what makes 2019-20 I wouldn't say pointless but sort of heavily caveated is if you remember with Project Restart they they kind of resumed in uh, mid to late June most clubs year ends so you go you know you have a financial year I think people can get their heads around that. Most, you know, for, for most clubs, it, it is aligned to the season, right? Well, the season was was massively delayed. Now, um, football clubs tend to have a year end of, of May or May 31st or, or June 30th. Well, that means that the season was kind of knocked into the following season, or certainly a chunk of it was. Now, some clubs, I think there were three or four in the Premier League, to kind of reflect the strange nature of season 2019-20, extended their year ends to the end of July, turned it, if you like, into a 13-month year, okay. or 14-month year, because I think one or two had a May end. And by doing so, they were able to capture all of the income they made in that season in their accounts, including the five or six games that they played in July. Now, the reason to do that is because, for accounting purposes, you can only account for a income as it as you make it you can only sort of capture it as you make it so those five or six games of premier league money of premier league broadcast money were absolutely essential so if you didn't do that and as i said about 15 16 of the clubs didn't do that and watford won, watford kept their end of june year end you have deferred you have delayed you've pushed back six games i think in watford's case of tv income which is not inconsiderate not insignificant i think it's about 70 and 80 millions worth so some of that loss of revenue and therefore the loss, the pre-tax loss, is a bit artificial. Okay. It, it hasn't gone forever. It's coming in the next set of accounts, the season we've just finished. So that is why it is skewed Watford's losses and skewed loads of clubs' losses. So they, they didn't extend. I think Burnley and Norwich did it. Palace did it. Sheffield United. Uh, yeah, so there's about three or four that did it. They will just look better than the others because they are capturing all that TV money. So, yes, they lost money. They'd have lost money anyway, but it wouldn't have been 35, 36 million. The, the club did sort of you know, put the, this COVID part into the report. And, mm. and it is, again, this is to the end of June 2020. Uh, so it's hard to know exactly the full impact in, in what has been this last year. And I suppose as Watford fans, we, we well, anybody really, we're not going to 100% know how bad or great things are because we've been promoted again. We, you talk about the Pozzos and, and, and the transfers and, you know, the successful business they've made out of for Watford and for Udinese and every, everything like that. Do those transfer numbers feel, and the numbers they, they, that you talked about in the article, healthy, again, comparing to other clubs 
in at this time during this 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 COVID, you know, the the, the Corre and, and Suarez and Estupinang, you know, set being sold. Did they feel? Do you feel like that? Actually, you know, you did the best business you could in in bad circumstances. Their COVID losses. I mean, lots of the clubs did that. A lot of the clubs to sort of kind of like get get their excuses in early. I mean, you know, it's all perfectly legitimate to put this into your accounts to sort of explain why you've made a loss. A lot of the clubs did actually say, well, look, we had this rebate. That's money that's gone. We're not getting that back. So by rebate, you mean they had to give money back? Yeah. So the, so the rebate is kind of important. So this was one of the big debates around Project Restart. So remember, we had that kind of two or three months without football. And there was a big discussion around kind of curtailment and, you know, what you do. And, well, OK, if we, if we stop the season, we will have to pay Sky, BT, Amazon to a lesser extent, and all the international rights partners. We'll have to pay them back because we wouldn't have delivered something that we promised, like, like any of us, right? If we've, if we've paid for a service and you, don't, you only get three quarters of it, well, you'd want, you'd, want a, you'd want a refund. That was one of the sort of key reasons, even at the sort of the height of, of, of covid uncertainty that the Premier League in particular was like guys you know we do need to resume right you know we do need to deliver those those products because we're probably gonna have to pay a rebate anyway for delivering them late but it will be much better for all of us if we play those games it came to about 330 million I mean some for international rights but mainly that went to the domestic rights holders and it was it was because the games were delivered late now you might sort of go well hold on a minute you know what's the, what's the big deal there well, they're all there in the contracts and it's felt that games played in the summer when there's more to do are worth less than games played in the spring when we're all, you know, switched in, into our normal natural rhythms and we'll be watching and we'll be watching sort of the, the finale to a, to a football league season. The late delivery of games was, it was a key part of the rebate. And the other thing, I suppose, was also the fact that fans at games are really important. They provide the backdrop. They provide a lot of the the excitement, the bars, the passion. And um, games played in Project Restart and all of last season didn't quite look like that. They weren't quite what people had paid for. So that's what the rebate covered. Uh, it was done on a pro rata basis and it's sort of paid over two years. It's been clawed back slowly. And it means that I think in Watford's case was it about ten million? No, seven million, seven and a bit million. And and as I said, it's done on a on a pro rata basis because Watford were relegated, didn't do very well. Their rebate would be smaller than Liverpool's, who who, who won that season. So so that's that's the sort of money that's gone and isn't coming back. I I just thought it was quite interesting that Watford, unlike almost every other club in the Premier League, did not make the excuse, did not spell out that guys the loss is bad. Our loss of revenue looks bad, but we are deferring it. Watford didn't actually say that in their statement. Maybe they felt all the other 18, 7, 18 clubs that have filed their accounts have already done that and everyone will know it. Or maybe they thought, you know what, we won't make a big song and dance about that because we know that this, you know, the season that's just gone will be another bad year financially because we've been relegated. We get to defer some Premier League money in there, which will actually mitigate those losses. So maybe let's just, just you know, keep them about it. And, you know, it's all, it's all money that we've got coming to us. When, when we choose to stick it in our books, well, let's, you know, what does it matter? It was great sort of hearing from someone outside the bubble, you know, sort of saying, yeah, it's really bad losing that amount of money. 
well, I think we can all understand that. Um, but it's sort of good that you know he does have that opinion of Watford um, that we are well run, and it's good that you know by just going into the Premier League that we are going to be uh, have a, a significant more uh, in our income this season. Just, just, how did you feel looking at the report as a, a you know someone who is a Watford fan and, and works closely you know day in day out with the club? Was it something that made you feel as good as you could in the current situation we all are living through? I think the most interesting thing is that we won't get a, a true picture of how um, damaging relegation coupled with COVID has been until we see the accounts from, from last um, season, because, you know, that's a full season without crowds. And as, you know, Matt astutely mentioned, the fact that we have managed to sort of carry over a little bit of that um, money and we didn't put it in our last year's account. So that will soften the blow of, of next year's accounts. From my perspective, what, what's been most interesting when you analyse those figures is that a lot of clubs wouldn't have been able to do what Watford did by being able to draw on their reserves of, of players to generate money to help soften the blow. If Watford hadn't have been able to sell Purvis Estupinian and hadn't been able to sell Luis Suarez, that would have probably been another 30 million in terms of a loss that they would have had. If they hadn't have been able to sell a player for you know twenty five million pounds in in Abdullah Dekora, that's another. So the the model allowed these figures to 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 bear out. Now, what's interesting from my perspective, and we, you know we've discussed it a little bit with Will Hughes earlier on, is that they've learnt lessons not only from how they ran the club, and maybe you know that they had a reality check in terms of. We can't be churning out these big wages and, and relegation has helped us now realise that we can't do that in the future. If we want to sort of be, be a smaller club in the Premier League and be fighting against the big guns again, we need to sort of have that um, environment, which means having maybe not players that are being overpaid and too comfortable. We want hungry, younger players that are still maybe fighting for that big deal, that big contract, and that's what they need. And then you take into consideration that the, the COVID impact as well, and they've they've really had to to balance the books as well. So, I think it's interesting having had those figures at the same time as the transfer window is going on, that you have a really 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 good understanding of of why they are bringing in free agents. And and people, I know people are going, oh, you know, we've only spent what, you know, eight million pounds or eight million pounds plus a, a few bits and bobs on on, on loser, and we haven't really spent much much else well there isn't much money around and if you've just lost 30 million pounds you don't start spending more and more and more so this is just the it's just the nature of the beast at the moment and i think that they're they're being savvy they're they're bringing in freeze and they've done it and they've they've been able to be competitive as well because there will have been other opportunities for these players um and through their network and through their connections and you know trusted agents and things like that they've managed to do the deals so I think you know I sort of step out of the the precise um you know figures that that Matt can speak about you know very very adeptly and I you know I enjoy going through all the all the figures and it's worth people reading the article in, in detail but I think it's just almost now you you look at that report and you go okay fine I understand why they're behaving like this, and and I and I hope that the Watford fans, after relegation, after a grim eighteen months for everyone, there is more of an acceptance. We are a, a small club in the Premier League, 
and we need to be punching above our weight and and that's what we have to do on the pitch but also with with the purse strings at the moment as well i think it was geordie on the on the whatsapp group sort of said you know we, we haven't had any marquee signings yet and I, I wasn't expecting one i don't think we really i said i don't think we really had any and my favorite thing that i, I think it was, i think it was also geordie he said he said there's that, that sort of comparison when, when you know joshua king was sort of announced there was a little bit of underwhelming sort of reaction from some Watford fans you know he isn't the you know, we know what he's done, but of recently, you know, is he going to be there or firing? And he he said he asked a great question: How would you have felt if he signed for Norwich? Would you have felt that he was going to be like, oh no, they've got another good player, we didn't get him? Or would you go, no, nah, it's fine, no, nah, it's fine, he can have it. But actually, I'm more of the, ah, oh, yeah, wow, he would have been a good player for us. I'm 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 happy with the business. I'm happy where it's it, how it, it's coming off. It seems sensible. And when you marry it up with what Scott told us in, in the interview it, it, and what was said in, in the finances, it's, 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 it's joined up. And I think that's the most important thing as a football fan. I think when you know that your club's thinking is joined up, it isn't irrational, that that gives you some sort of comfort going forward. And it, I think it does bear repeating. We said it earlier on. We do have a responsibility to understand the situation and not get, get carried away. You know, we heard Matt say there in the cold light of day, yes, it's bad. Because it is bad. The amount of money lost was substantial. Obviously, there's mitigating factors, but it could have been a lot worse. We've talked earlier about how lucky we are to have the custodians we did and that the, the loss was mitigated because of, you know, they're clever, they understand it, they're savvy and they're sensible. But the reality is, and that's borne out by these figures, the black and white, cold light of day business, is that money is less... Um, available than it than it was and yes it should seem obvious but I think sometimes as supporters we do get carried away and we do get a little bit ex- overexcited and you think oh there must be some money for him for example we must be able to find eight million for Elise or or nine million to outbid Palace for him for example come on we're in the Premier League we must be able to find that money somewhere and it's easy to say that but I think the reality is that the it isn't there and I think we have to be more grown up I think as as supporters and remind each other and ourselves hold ourselves to a high standard of understanding when it comes to what is possible these days and what what isn't because it's easy to say oh we must have you know what about the money from the tv or what about this or what about that or surely we could do the answer is no (laughs) you know the money just (laughs) isn't there not having your pocket money Arlo (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you just pinch it anyway. You know, which reminds me, must change that. Um, it's a it's a note of caution, but also it doesn't need to be a bad thing. It's just let's let's just, we just have to reframe it as supporters. And I think as modern day supporters, we have to adapt to the the, the to the, what is the modern reality. And it's just not the same as it was. As you know, we are newly into the Premier League. We're newly back into the Premier League against a very, very different and difficult financial backdrop. Things will hopefully change if we can get ourselves established into the Premier League. And, uh, you know, you might see there being a little bit more turnover of money. But as a, you know, we just have to remind ourselves, we have to be grown up about this. The facts are the facts. The reality is the reality. And as football supporters, we it's very easy to get carried away, very easy to convince ourselves that we should be able to do this when actually now is the time for a bit of try to maintain some um, common sense for as, for, as, for as long as possible. 
uh, and just trust in what's happening, realise what's happening and trust the guys that we have uh, in charge. And, you know, like Adam, we've all said throughout this podcast is that the on the face of it, the transfer business looks like it's been pretty good. It looks like it's been OK, certainly at the level that we would have expect to, 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 to be able to operate at. Um, and of course, the beauty of every football season is the proof will be in the pudding. And uh, yeah, I can't I can't wait to get tucked in, quite frankly. Are you ready for the season yet, Adam? Or are you happy there's a few weeks left to go? Um, no, I'm looking forward to it, actually. I, I enjoy the Euros. I know it's, it's, it's sort of a bit of a weird way of looking at it, but I'm almost looking forward already to sort of October when we don't have to deal with the August international break and the September international break and the October one, sort of breaking up the breaking up the season. I'm looking forward to sort of when it when it's coming thick and fast, especially because we were, I don't know, whether we endured or we were treated to all those games in the championship where you didn't really have any time to think. So um, I'm looking forward to it. It's a challenge, isn't it? Like I think everyone's learned over over the last 18 months or so to have a bit of perspective on things. And, you know, it's, look, it's a game. We all love it and we should try and enjoy it as much as possible and get behind the team. We haven't even said that, have we? We, we will hopefully, fingers crossed, all be able to be at Vicarage Road together and, and enjoying it and, and being with each other and backing the side, which we didn't have a chance to do properly, um, well, for the whole of last season and not since that great night against Liverpool. So hopefully there'll be more of those surprising, exceeding expectations sort of moments for Watford next season. Uh, Mark, you're not being particularly... Uh, to, there's a cough there for you. You're not being particularly well uh, recently. You got the Wembley variant uh, after enjoying uh, England's uh, win at... Uh, Wembley and you were part of but not anymore part of a, a bunch of uh, Watford fans who are currently doing a massive run ridiculous I don't think you would ever really made it Mike I know you wanted Daddy. to 153 kilometres in a month Jason's doing it uh, as well as Kieran uh, our good friend Kieran who you've heard in the podcast many times uh, and his brother Ryan They're each of them each of them are running 153 kilometres for all the people that unfortunately lost their lives to uh, coronavirus uh, and you can sponsor them if you'd like to get involved uh, it is virginmoneygiving.com forward slash run for the lost like, there's a whatsapp group I'm part of it and you, I keep seeing all their, their their runs they're doing every day the the five kilometres the eight kilometres the ten kilometres they're slowly slowly clocking it up Jason's doing really well hope he can keep going for the last uh, couple of weeks but each of them is doing 153 kilometres for the Watford Peace Hospice uh, and also for Mind um, charities that were very uh, close to uh, Kieran's dad who unfortunately uh, lost his life to COVID last year. Uh, so that is uh, virginmoneygiving.com forward slash run for the lost uh, to put some money towards that. Just to put a bit of context around it, the reasoning behind 153 kilometres in the month is that that's uh, affected, that's 153,000 metres, which is a metre which roughly equates to a step um, for every life that, that that was sadly lost. So that is a, you know, a very pertinent and important and sobering amount of uh, people. Um, and I think those two charities, you know, the, the Watford Peace Hospice won't need any explaining to, to anyone local to Vicarage Road. And of course, Mind, who have done such valuable and, and important work as people come to terms with either loss or struggled with the effects of um effects of lockdown you don't need to have been impacted directly by covid to have struggled over the last 18 months so that was why we felt it was important to 
um, to, to to raise some money for mine because we know how important the, the the mental side of this 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 difficult period in everyone's lives has been. So yeah, unfortunately, I was um, <clears throat> yeah the first day of July, I was um, got my my COVID symptoms, and what are we now? Two two and a half weeks on, I'm still still struggling. So sorry if I sound uh, less than uh, optimum on the podcast to, today, the first one of the season. I'm going to grow into it. This is <laughs> my, my, my first pre-season uh, training. Hopefully I'll hit my straps by the time the season starts. But it, um, yeah, the first day I was, uh, I did my first run and then was, uh, was laid lows. But yeah, so if you can, if you can contribute, please do. We've had to raise the, the total a couple of times already, thanks to, to everyone's generosity, but it is a huge undertaking. Uh, and the lads are, are really doing some some pretty amazing stuff. Pretty much f- just over five kilometres a day for the entirety of the month. So uh, a big challenge and 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 one well worth uh, backing. And thank you to everyone. Um, well, thank you to everyone who's reached out with their words um, when they found out I was poorly. That's very kind. It's nice to know that um, uh, it gives you a little bit of a, a boost. But um, more importantly, thanks to everyone who supported the the guys so far. There's been a lot of support. If you can keep that going, that would be um, absolutely magnificent. Two hugely important causes. So yeah, every uh, every penny counts. Thank you much for listening to the first podcast of uh, the set of the twelfth season of From the Rookie End, uh, and uh, we'll be of course with you every Monday where we'll talk about what's been going on the weekend. I'd like to say the Saturday game, but we know the Premier League doesn't necessarily give you that sort of uh, regularity. Uh, but we'll be with you uh, ready for a Monday morning, maybe a bit before, but ready for your Monday morning, and then with Adam on a Thursday morning where we will be taking a, a deeper look uh, into the, the lives uh, around Watford Football Club and Vicarage Road in the past and of course the, and the present. Thank you Adam. No problem. Take care gents. And thank you Michael. Not a problem. It's uh, it's exciting to be talking uh, to be talking Watford again. I think it's going to be a tough season. There's going to be some challenges but um, yeah the, uh, it's uh, just starting to bubble up quite nicely isn't it? Oh it's bubbling and we can't wait for it to burst in August. Come on, you ones! The Athletic.